0: Welcome to Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, personalities and policies of the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. This week, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey passed and signed into law a sweeping ban on abortion across the state. This follows on a number of other states passing similar, um, although slightly less sweeping, abortion bans or restrictions, including states like Georgia, which passed a so-called fetal heartbeat law, making abortion illegal from six weeks into the uh, from six weeks post conception, which is before most women are aware that they are pregnant. There is a debate in the. Um, in the Alabama Congress about trying to add in some provisions in the bill that would allow for an exemption in the case of rape or incest, but those provisions were defeated, meaning that an outright ban on abortion passed with no uh, limitation apart from to save the life of the mother. Um, This is clearly part of a long-term strategy by the uh, anti-choice movement to provoke a controversy and to provoke a challenge in the courts, um, and they will surely get their their challenge um, sooner rather than later. So, the bulk of this week's episode is an interview with Mandu Reed, who is the head of the Women's Equality Party, talking about abortion rights more large, more broadly, um, their impact nationally and internationally in America, why they are important to to women's freedoms, what they mean for the rights of women and and people, um, and basically why we are where we are. Why is abortion such a divisive issue um, in America and around the world? Um, So that was a really fascinating chat. I hope you will stick around for that interview with Mandu. Um, But first, a very quick update on some other news developments being covered this week. Um, This week it became Florida Governor Ron DeSantis met with um, the FBI and was briefed on some information that was first revealed in the Mueller report, um, which is disturbingly that there are at least two Florida counties that had their voter rolls successfully accessed by GRU, that's the Russian intelligence agency. The FBI has still not been fully transparent with the public about which counties specifically um, were affected by this um, and what impact, if any, that had upon the outcome of the vote. Um, Ron DeSantis was actually briefed um, under a an NDA. He was for some reason um, was asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement presumably by the FBI. It's a little bit unclear Um, but in any case Florida lawmakers and national lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, both Republican and Democrat, have been demanding uh, more information from the FBI about this very troubling development. Um, We will stay on top of this as well as we find out more but right now all we know is that clearly Russian efforts to intervene directly in the 2016 election were more effective than we had previously realized, um, and it's worth paying really close attention to. Um, the other story that I think it's worth us keeping a close eye on this week is that um, part of an ongoing story, the, out- the White House is clearly um, taking an approach of no longer cooperating with any uh, congressional or Senate oversight. They seem to be taking the view that Congress does not have a legitimate oversight rule outside of um, specifically directing immediately forthcoming legislation. Um, That strikes me as clearly not an accurate reading of the constitutional role of Congress. Um, But the impact of it on the near term is that the White House is refusing to comply with subpoenas, is not cooperating and sending witnesses, is basically um, refusing to comply with With congressional orders and seems to be determined to provoke um, a confrontation over this. Um, One speculation around this could be that the White House is trying to provoke Democrats into commencing an impeachment negotiation or an impeachment hearing. Um, Perhaps they think that it's politically advantageous of them for them to for Democrats to start an impeachment hearing. Um, But of course, in the course of doing so, they're creating newly impeachable offenses, and it's worth remembering that. But, um, several of the charges against Richard Nixon in his own impeachment, um, several of the articles of impeachment that were being prepared against Nixon um, were specific to, um, to 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 his relationship with Congress and to refusing to supply information to contract Congress. So um, this strikes me as a, a significant escalation by the Trump administration um, on, on a range of issues from Trump's tax returns to getting um, uh, Bill Gates and Bob Mueller to, to um, further testify to Congress, to other witnesses that may be subpoenaed. So um, let's have a close watch on that and, and again, not let that one go. Um, Hopefully, um, we will be able to come to some resolution of finding a way to get uh, Robert Mueller on the stand quite soon. Uh, that is another thing that, that Congress is working on at the moment. Um, it's not clear whether the White House can or, or would um, successfully be able to, to block um, Mueller's testimony should he choose to testify. So um, I expect we'll probably see more developments on that next week. So watch that one closely. This week on the Primarily Podcast, uh, I'm taking a deep dive into issues around reproductive rights and abortion rights. You may be aware that, of course, this is a particularly topical issue this week because of um, some... (laughs) dangerous shenanigans that have been happening uh, most recently in Alabama, but also in other states across the country, Um, Georgia, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Ohio have all recently passed what would be effectively bans on abortion for all intents and purposes. Um, I've got here with me the fantastic Mandu Reid from the Women's Equality Party in the UK. Mandu, want to say hi? Hi, everybody. Great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. So Mandu is the leader of the Women's Equality Party um, as of April. So relatively new to your leadership, but not new to your not new to your activism. That's right. Um, and you are interestingly the first um black female to lead a uk political party actually the first black person at all to lead a uk political party so um lo- long may uh <laughs> may, may you not be the first for very long
1: yeah i think it's a shame it's taken so long but yeah um, I'm, I'm glad to be doing it and glad to be setting an example to the other political parties and players out there first but not last I- and um
0: And so I'm really happy to talk to you today because you've been speaking out quite a bit about reproductive rights and how fundamental they are to um, basically just all of women's freedoms and and how connected they are. Um, But I was just hoping you could kick us off with setting the scene around that. Why? Because abortion rights is something that for American audiences in particular has been really in the center of the firing line for a long time now um, and what I would love to get some thoughts on is just why does it keep coming back to that what what is it about this issue that that seems to fire people up so much
1: I think it's multifaceted really but fundamentally this is about women's freedom it's about our autonomy it's about it's about our status so for all the um, narratives and rhetoric out there that, that that has now kind of cottoned on to the idea of equality being something that's desirable and, and that matters we keep coming back to this issue because true equality is impossible um, in, in in a context where you know reproductive rights bodily autonomy freedom to make a choice about what to do with your body um, is it, it, it's it's really you undermine the principle of equality as a genuine destination if you don't address and don't safeguard and don't protect um, the rights people have to their own body. It's really as simple as that. It boils down to it being an essential ingredient. I completely agree with
0: you, of course. And I think that the interesting thing about abortion is, abortion is it, it it in particular it's very challenging in some ways for um leftists such as myself to talk about because oh. there are people who say oh but others have might have sincerely held religious convictions about one area or they might feel there's this whole personhood debate about when do you when does your autonomy and when does your um existence as a human being come into play and I think that's one of the reasons why I think Democrats in particular have really struggled to get give a message as clear as the one that you just laid out. So what are your thoughts on kind of how do we navigate that tricky terrain in a country as divided on this issue as America is?
1: I think we navigate it um, boldly. We boldly go because the basics don't change whether you apply a soft touch or whether you confront the issue and are truly candid about it. This is a medical procedure and it should never be criminalized. And I would also take that one step further. Not only should it never be criminalized, sorry, what, it should never be criminalized, it should never be stigmatized also. And that is, I appreciate, the area where a lot of friction and tension arises. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, my own decision to speak publicly about the abortion I had five years ago stems from the fact that actually you know the notions of shame the notions of embarrassment the notions of stigma are actually foot soldiers you know um in 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 the campaign that's being run by the the anti-choice lobby they want us to be ashamed they want us to be embarrassed what they're trying to do thrives under the conditions of of stigma prevailing and i think the more we can um Kind of shift the narrative away from that, the better chance we have of not only preserving um, the rights that, that were won, you know, back in the in, the, in the, the second wave of feminism, but actually ensuring that the destination that we want to get to, which is what I spoke about at the very beginning, a destination where men and women are truly equal, we have to, we have to um, keep the narrative in a place that allows us to head towards that horizon. And um, I was really pleased yesterday, you know, to see the kind of what looked like spontaneous emergence of, of the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag, you know, me, where women were talking about their experiences and were refusing to be kind of cowed by the the shrouding of of, of shame and embarrassment. And I think that's quite a powerful defense quite a powerful part of how we have to deal with what's going on in in the states we have issues on our own doorstep here in the uk and and you see it across europe too
0: yeah i think one of the things that um that, that always strikes me about the abortion debate is how we never seem to move on to the next step in the question um, by which i mean kind of okay there is a there is a common ground that even staunchly anti-abortion people and and those like myself who are strongly pro choice ought to have which is that a woman and her child should have a healthy life if she mm. wants one um and i think i was very struck when you kind of very bravely spoke out about your own decision one of the things you said was that if there had been different policies in place surrounding parenthood then a different choice might have been possible for you so actually it kind of sounds like you're saying there is a there is a connection between all of the different issues that that women struggle through. um, And we aren't supporting women in other areas either. Does that, is that a fair assessment of what you're trying to
1: get across there? That is a hugely important part of the narrative that often gets overlooked. Again, I think it suits um, the anti-choice lobby to kind of zoom in and polarize. I think we've got to um, resist, um, you know, any uh, pressure to um, take this conversation out of the bigger picture. Absolutely. There are so many different uh, facets to uh, a woman's experience um, that contribute to the um, life chances you have. In my case, it was um, true that if childcare and equal parenting rights had been you know, different in this country my circumstances would have been different and, and potentially my decision-making different. And so I'm determined for the way we in the Women's Equality Party discuss this to... I'm, I, I'm determined to ensure that we uh, discuss it in the context within which inequality manifests for women and across our society as a whole. You're absolute, you absolutely nailed it by... You said it in a much more kind of... Um, <laughs> concise and straightforward way that I just managed but yes that is really really central to the way I see this issue.
0: But I think I think that's the thing you know as a a parent of a young child myself um, one of the things that is just amazing is I thought of myself as somebody who like had achieved equality. Right. I I thought of myself as somebody who was, you know, like had the career that I wanted, you know, never as successful as you'd like to be. But, you know, you never as you know, anything as you'd like to be, but but had 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 built the life I wanted. And then I entered a world of parenting that was so much more gendered than I had been prepared for. And it really made me stop and think about how much of women's inequality is tied to motherhood, not just not just gender. And, and abortion is, it's almost feels like they're trying to force us into motherhood because that forces us into a less equal situation, whereas ideally, you'd just be equal.
1: I mean, in my, yeah, in my case, when, when I did get pregnant, um, and it wasn't planned, um it was extraordinary to me and extra- it's still extraordinary to me when I look back that um, me and the um, man in question, neither of us could imagine a situation where I wasn't the um, sole or primary caregiver of that child. He was even a few years younger than me. He earned less money than me, but still we've all been socialized to kind of frame um, Uh, women's roles through I think this very narrow very myopic lens and and that means what we're doing is we're curtailing the um, opportunity for women to thrive and I firmly believe that when women thrive everyone thrives you know and so abortion is just one of those really important subjects that I think make up um, the multiple conversations we need to have we need to keep having and we need to remain ambitious about um, you know what we're trying to pursue and what we're trying to strive for yeah and
0: yet it is the chosen ground of uh, the patriarchy right (laughs) (laughs) and and it feels like this is the battle that they want to pick with us time and time again at least in the united states and i'm curious if you have any more international perspective for our american audiences it Does it feel like the U.S. is the outlier on this issue or is there a wider trend in this direction? Because I know, for for example, Northern Ireland recently made abortion legal. So are we going against the trend or is this a global phenomenon?
1: So... Northern it's abortion is um not legal in Northern Ireland it was Ireland the Republic of Ireland sorry yeah last year I meant Ireland (laughs) yeah no problem so it was just a monumental triumph actually and that was a place where you know five years ago ten years ago no one could have imagined um the outcome that was achieved almost exactly a year ago um but Northern Ireland conversely is a place the only place in the UK where um there's a kind of intractable, it feels like an intractable resistance to um, falling in line with the way um, legislation, with what legislation offers to women um, elsewhere um, in the United Kingdom. But just, we can come to that in a second, but back to your point, is the U.S. an outlier? You know, again, five years ago, 10 years ago, I might have said, yeah, this issue seems to be much more poignant, much more prevalent in the U.S., and, and that does seem... Uh, to be a distinguishing feature of of domestic politics there. But actually, um, I think that we're heading towards a a scenario where trends in other parts of Europe are starting to resemble um, what's been going on and bubbling away and gained a little bit of prevalence in in, in the US over recent years. I mean, Poland, Hungary, Austria, God knows what's going to happen in Spain with the kind of hideous and terrifying success of the um, Vox Party in their last series of elections. It seems to be consistent with um, just trends in in the rise of regressive populism. It seems to be part of their template, bringing this subject up to stir up, you know, hate and division and and create a scenario where um, women's rights are on the table um, as if there is a negotiation to be had. And I think we have to resist that. We have to resist that vociferously. We've got to defend the rights that have been won and remain ambitious and determined to, to ensure that when they're undermined, we don't just settle for, oh, all right, then um, it's a victory if uh, they didn't scale back the you know threshold in terms of number of weeks. No, we can't even allow conversations, I think, Um, around that, we've got to maintain the sort of solid principle that these rights aren't up for grabs and and can't be negotiable um, in any context.
0: I think that's the key point is that it and and I think the rest of the world can look at the US as to some extent a cautionary tale. um, Because I don't know that much about the global perspective, but I have... Some A lot of knowledge of what happened in the US, certainly over my lifetime and, and, and before. And I can tell you that this is something, this is a moment, this moment in time, when they expect that the Supreme Court will overturn the Roe versus Wade decision, because it, it did not emerge recently and it did not emerge without a lot of planning and effort on their part this is a moment that they've been working to and building a movement towards for 30 to 40 years um you know probably probably my entire lifetime since the 1970s 1973 which was the year before i was born um, when roe versus wade decision came down they've been organizing on the right um at specifically around the judiciary trying to get Judges moved up into the federal court system, trying to get federal court judges moved up into the Supreme Court. And the fact that we've had, you know, a number of states, I think f- I think, five states passed effectively abortion restrictions and, and, and four or five other states have recently passed further restrictions against abortion um, just in the last few months or a year, they know what's coming they ex- they're they're fighting a battle that they have chosen and it doesn't feel like we have yet armed ourselves to for this battle in the way that the other side is and i hate using that kind of battle metaphor but that's how they see it it feels like they are arming themselves against a struggle in what they see as a black or white conflict. Whereas I think those of us on the left mm. are looking at, as you say, in a more holistic context around, you know, the difficult, the, the choices that women make and the opportunities that are available to them. And how do you support healthy upbringing of children and all these kinds of questions? That's a much harder conversation than just life or death.
1: It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's something I want to ask you, actually, about the the U.S. context so the news yesterday or you know th- this week about um Alabama the, the you know the, the reports i've heard is that of course um a legal challenge will be mounted but what's what's your sense of um how how close to being considered by the supreme court any of these new rulings are i mean how far off are we So that's a that's a great question um and and, and obviously,
0: a lot of this is kind of now we have to see what plays out. But I yeah. think what is most likely to happen. So the first thing I want, actually, I want all listeners of this podcast to know, is that this does not mean that abortion is currently illegal in those sure. states, because the laws can't take effect because they are unconstitutional at this point. So um, that like, if you're in Alabama, it's hard enough to be a pregnant woman in need of an abortion in Alabama right now. But don't believe that you cannot get access to healthcare right now. Um, so that's the first thing. The next thing that's going to happen is already um, institutions like the ACLU, um, and I'm sure Planned Parenthood and NARAL will 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 want to join a case on this, are challenging these laws in the courts. So I expect we'll see a stay um, on the institute on the implementation of the laws. Now Then it goes to the lower level courts is the next step. And in the lower level courts, I think there is there is a general consensus from what I can tell among the legal community that those laws will not be up, will not be upheld, will be basically pushed down by the lower courts just because the Supreme Court precedent is so clear. Um, And the current constitutional status quo states that these laws are past what is deemed acceptable. So then it's a question of they're trying to accelerate how quickly can they get to the Supreme Court, which is right. one of the reasons why these laws are so extreme. They're trying to, in a way, you've seen things talking about how, oh, they didn't even have an exception for rape or incest in Alabama. and um but and 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 they're doing that on purpose because they want to make the laws as clearly provocative as possible, so that there is a need for the Supreme Court to intervene. that's that feels like the intention. Typically, it takes the quickest that you would expect to see these court cases showing up in the Supreme Court is about a year. Um, and that's assuming that they were minded to take it on and accelerate it. So it's probably still maybe a year, a couple of years away from any decision. And we don't even know for sure what that decision will be.
1: I've got to um, say, that feels quite soon. I have to say. It, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, does, that, that makes me feel that, you know, um, we're really at the stage of this being urgent this being kind of crisis stakes mission critical for oh, this is the yeah. moment yeah yeah it really is
0: and i guess i guess the interesting question politically yeah. will be where that decision falls in respect of the 2020 election yeah um and i think either way it's going to have a huge impact on that election because Clearly, the other thing that's happened politically in the United States is that we have sorted very clearly. I don't think that the voter segments have necessarily sorted as clearly as that. There are a lot of Democrats who identify as pro life and Republicans who identify as as, as pro-choice. Mm. But in the political sphere, because the movement of Republican politics has been so driven by the by the anti choice movement, there are very few Republicans left in power who are who are pro-choice. Mm. So that will be that. That will be a defining choice in the
1: the next election, and well, so it's almost a referendum point, you know, um, in in these twenty twenty elections. I mean, for us here. It is a case of trying to create a scenario where it's politically expedient, you know, for either an individual politician or political parties to, you know, champion what we're fighting for. I mean, we we did achieve that last year. Um, our, our campaign to allow home use of abortion pills was very much a kind of like grassroots campaign that applied pressure on um, the um, you know, politicians in the ministry of health and 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 it was bottom up, but I feel like in this the, what everything you 've described suggests that 's necessary. we absolutely need to demonstrate that what we 're arguing for is politically expedient and try and um, organize people who believe strongly um, to make themselves visible and amplify yeah. um, their their perspectives but yes, these challenges that have reached the kind of close to the highest echelons of the, <laughs> the legislature needs some other tactics, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and I don't want to underestimate,
0: I don't want to suggest that the Republicans have been doing all the work on this. On the other side, Democrats have sorted equally into a very strongly pro-choice party. Yeah. And and the influence of wonderful organizations like Pan Parenthood and, and NARAL mm-hmm. and um, pro-choice America have been doing some great grassroots on the groundwork, organizing people around it. Um but I think it's just, it, it it's a question of what's going to be, I think there is a pro-choice majority. There is a clear pro-choice majority in America. But how salient is the issue? Can we make them care about it enough? That's, that's I think, the political challenge. Because the people who care about it on the other side care all a lot.
1: They really do. <laughs> and and that, they're organizing quietly, well, and not so quietly, mm. um, as you described for, for the last couple of decades. Yes.
0: I it's mean, a, I think... So yeah, for the few few decades, but also, I mean, and again, it comes back to this kind of what's under, what's driving this, what's underlying it. Is it because it does engage their movement so much, and what are these right wing populist far right leaders around the world and in America? What is it about this issue? Is it is it just as simple as? That it taps into misogyny that also happens to have a, a Venn diagram overlap with the views of their core audience. Or is there something else about this issue that 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 really seems to inspire these people? I'm I'm just really intrigued by it because think, it's so I think, fierce.
1: I think one of the factors is it's very easy to polarize around this issue. And I mean, even just look at some of the, the language. Um and the framing of it, you know, is it Georgia where they refer to it as the heartbeat legislation? Yeah, you know, um, it's intentionally emotive, emotional language that's kind of used in in, in quite a deft way, let's face it, to manipulate public opinion. And I think it's one of those issues that just lends itself well to, um, frankly, simplifying. And that does present a challenge for those of us that are trying to argue for nuance, that are trying to... um, make the case that actually this is part of a much bigger picture that we ought to as a society, we ought to as a collective of generations be striving towards. Um, It is a puzzle, I mean what's so interesting though about the um, situation in, in the Republic of Ireland was that's one of those places where obviously this subject was massively, massively, massively polarized. Um, But the process they underwent using a kind of extended, extensive period of citizens juries to allow um, deliberative debate and discussion nationwide to happen in a transparent way, that was really, really difficult for the um, anti-choice lobby to defend itself against, for want of a better word. So I don't know if, uh, if, if there are techniques, tactics, ingredients that can be borrowed from that approach. Um, because I do think that would I do think that would be much more difficult for the anti-choice lobby to yeah. navigate around if there was a you know platforms created for proper deliberative, um, reasoned exploration of these issues
0: that is so interesting because i think that taps into something that we've been talking about that that is true which is how do you get to the complexity of the issue and and i think that even the press and even you know activists a lot of time talk about this in very black and white terms are you pro choice or pro life whereas people tend to have much more nuanced views on this you know yeah. they'll often think well i wouldn't choose that for myself but i respect others choice or they might think you know, um I'm I'm concerned about kind of women's health. Um so mm-hmm. uh, you know I'd support abortion for that reason or I'd support choice for that reason. But actually, you know, we it's in the interests of the most extreme voices to to polarize these asc- asc- our asc-
1: And so that might work in the US on a I mean your country's so massive it'd be mm. tricky to do it a <laughs> nationwide endeavor, but on a kind of state-by-state state basis I mean you know the example in, in Northern Ireland I know from the Abortion Support Network that in Northern Ireland this this you know there are um, dozens of women every week who are who are traveling out of the country to to have um, abortion because it's not safe and, and legal there um, but in that context the the process I've described that took place in the Republic of Ireland would be quite difficult to undertake because of the kind of stranglehold on the political debate that this issue has um, currently, and you're in a situation where you have the DUP in Northern Ireland kind of effectively, I mean, this may sound dramatic, blackmailing Westminster, because Westminster's relying on them um, to prop up, you know, Theresa May's quite feeble government. And so this issue, I'm sure, I think we can reasonably speculate behind the scenes, there was part of the debate and discussion was, here, take a a billion pounds, um, DUP, prop up our government, and um, DUP probably will have said, uh, all right, in return as well, you're going to keep hush-hush about the abortion issue and not allow um, it to be explored or discussed, you'll leave it alone. So those conditions create a scenario where it's difficult to do a citizen's jury deliberative model that engages members of the public in a nuanced debate, which makes it much more difficult for the polarisation and the emotive language I described being uh, rolled out by the uh, anti-choice folks to, to win the day. So but I, th- yeah, I, go
0: I, I think, I think it, that kind of gets again to one of the things that we've talked about for a long time, about perhaps one of the reasons why for a long time abortion was more of hot in the U.S. than elsewhere, which is how it was decided, because we didn't have that deliberative process and we didn't mm-hmm. have a sort of federal process. It was decided by the courts. Now, I happen to agree with that ruling, um, and I think that the courts are right to stand up for privacy protections, um, as they did in Roe versus Wade.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: because do we did it by that process... Um, you know, you could argue that there wasn't a opportunity for the public to have that debate amongst themselves or to come to any kind of nuanced resolution. It was kind of imposed from above instead of evolved from below. Um, And maybe it's time for us to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe that links back to something I was saying a bit earlier about how maybe one of the next frontiers is an, an an extension of um the you know hashtag you know me approach to this where people in public life are prepared and i'm not imposing this on i don't think people should be compelled to talk about their experiences but i think if we create a situation where um you know women are prepared to come forward and do come forward those who have a bit of profile as well it does start to kind of pivot the narrative again away from some of the most toxic, um, emotive narratives that have served the anti-choice lobby. And a deliberative format is quite a good environment for yeah. that sort of discussion to, to, to you know, exist. Yeah. I think,
0: I think that's right. And I, I'm very interested in getting away from this whole concept of debate and, and get more into this concept of, you know discussion of what we share what we have in common or you know opportunities for collaboration or sharing um not just to, not just between the most extreme groups like a lot of times they they talk about that in terms of well get somebody who's staunchly pro-life and somebody who's staunchly pro-choice and force them together yeah but actually there's a there's a vast majority of people who have just nuanced complex views on this but but they want to they want to come to a society that has a consensus and a a peaceful resolution of difficult issues that we can work for and work towards together. And it feels like that's, it's not a, it's not a kind of extreme, um, you know, often the extremes get, get come off best in a debate because they're the clearest debating positions. Mm. Um, Whereas it feels to me almost like abortion is one of those issues where there is a clear governing majority of people who believe that abort that women should have reproductive rights. Now what? Okay, where exactly. do we go from there? What's the next step? God, it sounds so
1: sensible, doesn't it? <laughs> but it also <laughs> sounds so radical, which is a sign of the times. It shouldn't sound radical, a suggestion like that. But it does in the context of how polarized everything's become over the last kind of five years or so. Reasonableness yeah. is so radical <laughs> these days. <laughs> uh, listen, listen yeah.
0: Andrew, I know that you, you uh you need to be shooting off soon. I, I are you uh I are I've you I've got okay?
1: a few more minutes. I've You've got... got a few minutes. Yes. Fantastic. Yes.
0: So um, we'll just really quickly play a version of the gut check game. So for those who are not that familiar with the podcast before, um, this is a game we play every week. I have in front of me my trusty Red Sox baseball cap into which I have put a few um, relevant quotes or um, policies or ideas that I've heard floated on the campaign trail or or in the political sphere this week. And I'm just going to pull one out and read one at random. And the first one... Is an interesting. Okay, so here's a really interesting point. Um, This is from a headline from a New York Times uh, article. It says just one female, just one new female Republican representative was triumphant in elections last November, compared with 35 female freshman House Democrats. The Republican side of the chamber became a sea of men. Well, well,
1: unsurprising. Unsurprising is my gut reaction to that in the context of what's going on across the pond um, and unsurprising given the fact that um, the Women's Equality Party that I represent needs to exist. Representation. we got a long way to go on representation. What's your reaction? What's your gut?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's It's a representation thing that I that I really am fascinated by because Republicans, like weirdly, are very representative of themselves, right? They are the party that... <laughs> Like they're by and for white, white older men. And that's who's that's who they elected. So fair, like they are choosing the representation that represents who they are. And Democrats, you know, I think I'm I'm very proud of the diversity of our caucus right now. And I'm proud that, you know, there are more women. It's still not enough. Like we're not even at 50 50. So let's not get too smug. But um, we have done a good job, especially of bringing new voices to the fore. And I'm so glad about that. So, yeah. Go us,
1: I absolutely that did feel triumphant last year, actually. Um, so keep at it, keep at it. Dennis. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a quote from TV
0: commentator Samantha B and her comedy show who says, Alabama lawmakers wouldn't know a vulva if it bit them. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm just, I'm just imagining this vulva with teeth. That's vivid. Chasing, yes, chasing after so the Alabama lawmakers and then running in terror. Um, my gut reaction to that is: uh, I, I wish that could happen in reality. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be on the sidelines cheerleading the 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 vulvas with teeth running after Alabama lawmakers. Vulva bites back. Yes, I love it. I love it. Um
0: my my gut reaction to that is it reminds me of one of the most fascinating facets of this whole debate has been watching republican politicians in particular in the abortion debates revealing how little they know about female biology.
1: Oh really? Yes, yeah. Just
0: it's been amazing. So there was a Georgia law. So the Georgia law that was passed, for example, required that if a non-viable fetus was, um, so if basically uh, a uh, a fertilized egg were were to fail to implant, it have to it would have to be surgically removed and implanted somewhere that it could grow. Like that's what? not a thing. That's <laughs> it, like the, the law was mandating a medical procedure that doesn't exist. That's
1: extraordinary. I mean, I guess. We should give them credit for imagination. <laughs> it's that's- creative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's about all, I think. That's about the only merit that's got. Oh wow. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And then what happened? What 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 happened next? Did, did somebody sort of apologize and say, Oh, whoops, we got that wrong? No, that was in the bill. Like, oh, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fun and games. Fun and games. Doing that dogs. The yes. other thing that was really
0: fascinating was there was an Alabama lawmaker, I'll throw this quote out at you, which I, I didn't happen to include in this, but I should have. Uh, there yes. was an Alabama lawmaker who was, um, when it was pointed out to him that the Alabama law, as written, would make IVF illegal, which is a really interesting point, because IVF relies upon having more fertilized eggs than you actually eat. Oh wind up in planning right so it would be like there would be no IVF and Mm -hmm. his response to that would be no 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 that doesn't count no one's pregnant she's not have. she's not pregnant
1: what the
0: hell isn't it like are you really concerned about these zygotes or is it really just about making sure the women have something else
1: going on Yes. right yes I mean, that is so revealing. I can't believe it. I mean, I should be, I shouldn't be surprised, but um, I guess it shows that there's, I'm not completely jaded yet because these things do still take me by surprise. Wow. It's good that we still have the power to be shocked. Yes. It's important. Yes, yes. Let's retain that. Let's <laughs> retain that as a marker of success. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Well, listen, Mandu, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I've Pleasure. really... Appreciated it. You are um, the head of the Women's Equality Party, which is standing in the soon-to-be-held European elections, I think, coming up soon. Do you want to make a final plug?
1: Yeah, um, vote for the Women's Equality Party, because we are actually the only party out there that is taking this issue and taking it seriously. What we're saying is we would like um, to fight for um, anybody, any country that's joining the European Union, to allow free safe and legal legal abortions to be um, to take place on their soil, and that is in black and white in our manifesto. So if this issue matters to you, if gender equality matters to you, we're the only party to vote for. There you go. well plugged.
0: And that's it. Um, as always, if you have not yet registered or requested your absentee ballot, um, I hope that you will do so right away. You should register or request your ballot every year, um, because there is a local or national election, um, every year, even when there isn't a federal election, you can get your absentee ballot or register to vote at votefromabroad.org if you're an American living overseas like myself or at vote.org if you're in the U.S. Um, in addition, I just wanted to take the opportunity to once again thank Paul Perros from Twitter at Paul Perros, um, who very kindly created my cover art um, for the episode. Uh, Paul and I have been in conversations about possibly creating some some new versions of that cover art, so I will um, you will see that if it if it comes out um, in different versions with different candidates. But again, um, just really appreciative of the the kindness of uh, of strangers. <laughs> so thank you, Paul, for just popping up on Twitter and, and helping solve a problem that I had been puzzling over. Um, I really appreciate, I have some of the absolute loveliest listeners and I've been getting some, some very kind reviews and comments and ratings. And, uh, I just want you all to know that I hear it and I appreciate it. And, um, you are, you are lovely people and, um, thank you for listening.